Well, hello and welcome to the Waffle Free Storytelling Podcast. I am just so excited. I'm jumping around like a mad person because this right here today is our very first guest spot. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had no waffle for ages and today is the very first time we are getting the waffle. And I have with me two awesome guests and I can tell you why they're awesome. Because they're family. I have Tracy Constant who delivered the collection of stories from Dorian Harhoff uh, earlier in the week and Adrian Constant who uh, delivered The Dollhouse which is kind of creepy so ladies and gentlemen round of applause Adrian and Tracy Woo! <laughs> hey guys how you both doing yeah Good. awesome now I have Brilliant. to say people we have Tracy in uh, Cape Town South Africa and Adrian in Toronto Canada so Guys, you both produced extremely different stories. And I think when you sent them in and I listened to them, I thought, damn, these are two people from the same family who listen to the same dad telling the same stories. How are the stories you love so completely different? So, Trace, we're going to start with you because you chose a beautiful collection of incredibly random stories. Uh, why did you choose those stories? Hmm, it was, I, I'm sure it must have just been Dor Dorian's um inspiration so i went along to those workshops because i was working with people who were kind of in reflecting processes in their organization so i was i was there for work really and so i went along on the storytelling workshop because i wanted to build stories into the front end of like uh, strategic planning sessions or self-evaluation so it was it was part of that so was that um Sort of, sort of looking for ways to inspire people to think through things. And before then, I'd played the odd video and said, okay, what do you think of this video? And often the videos were really random. There's some very funny videos in my collection. It was something like that. And then he was doing, he does a lot of storytelling for organizations and stuff. And so it had to do with his style as well. And his idea that a story is mainly there to start you thinking, to open up an idea and that anybody can take that idea and do anything they want with it. So all of his stories are random and end in midair and you make of it what you want, you know? So I think it was, it, it, that collection of stories is very much in, in his style. And yeah, I loved them because they were random because they stopped and got me saying, Oh, what does it mean? What is it about? What does it say? What is it? Where does it fit? So that's what I liked about them. And I've used them a lot. So when, you know, we have a meeting and I say, I'm going to start with a story and everybody loves to start with a story. And, and then they sit there blinking and going, why did you tell us that? <laughs> Pointless <laughs> random story. You haven't heard these stories yet, have you? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that's my fault. I should have sent them to you first. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell one now, Trace? Do you want to tell one of the shorter ones? I was actually trying to think of yet another one today. Um, That's so random. Okay, this will give you a flavor of what Trace is putting out there, Adrian. There we go. Oh, no, wait. I've got a brilliant one. No, this is the one I was thinking of. Okay, so there's a philosopher who lives in a town, and the policeman and the philosopher have grown up together, and the policeman actually hates the philosopher. He's very irritated and always has been by the philosopher, right? So it must have been a COVID-19 town because he bumps into the philosopher and he says, where are you going? And the philosopher says, I don't know. 
And the policeman says, oh, no, come on, man, you're just messing with me. You're just full of nonsense. Um, I'm going to take you and I'm going to lock you up because you're insolent. And so he takes him and he puts him in the cell. And then as he's leaving, the philosopher says, you see, I told you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, man, it does. It just makes you stop and it's like. That's awesome. I get that. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so silly. <laughs> it's almost a joke. It's almost, it, it's it's almost, almost a joke. It's, it's a almost serious. a joke with a punchline, but you, yeah, you're kind of, you, it makes you think, which you is do. great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. No, you got to listen to the other ones, Adrian. They're all exactly, you get to the end and you go, okay. Especially, <laughs> no, it wasn't the bicycle one. Uh, it was the, uh, what is the character's name who did, you did the last two? Oh, Nasrudin. Nasrudin. Nasrudin searching outside his door for his keys. And his friend comes to help him. And after a while, he says, what the hell? Where did you lose your keys? And he says, in the house. He says, why are we looking out here? He goes, it's too dark in the house. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so like you would, start a, you would start a meeting with that and everybody would go, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. And then you say, okay, so what does it mean? Exactly. What are you, how are, what are you doing that looks like, what Nasruddin was doing. Exactly. Are you looking in the right place for the stuff you need to understand? And so they're so random, but you can get like little prompting questions out of them to help people think. Yeah. No, it is. It's almost like, it's almost, it's almost like the TARDIS, you know, you've got a little bitty space and you go inside and it just goes, this is what you can get out of that. <laughs> yeah. Just a, just a tiny hint of truth. Because, and that, in fact, that is what story, the most beautiful thing about storytelling is that inside, underneath all the layers of story is some really valuable truth. And he, here you're using like the truth of what Nasruddin is doing as, you know, motivation for the meeting, yeah. you know, which is, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that is, that is the, the storytelling. That is the, the crux of what storytelling is, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now the dollhouse, Adrian. Mm-hmm. Now this is one written and told by you. Mm-hmm. And when, now, if, if you think about what you just said, like this element of truth. So tell us about the dollhouse, where it came from, what your thinking was. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was a very superficial, it came from a very superficial place. I was, I just wanted to write a story that was a little bit creepy. And um, yeah. And so I just built the character, who the guy was, and and then uh, just decided that a dollhouse was pretty creepy. So I had the character. It was a very organic process, just one foot in front of the other until I knew uh, what was going to happen in the story. And yeah, so uh, towards the end, are we spoiling the story? We're good to spoil the story here? Yeah, the story's been out already. Okay, okay. Spoiler alert, people. If you have not heard the dollhouse, then pause this video, go into the show notes, Click on the dollhouse, listen to the dollhouse, then come back and join us because now Adrian's going to spoil the ending. Go. <laughs> yeah. So it's just essentially in the dollhouse, the, the man, it, he, he's punished for his previous sins and uh, or for, his, for, for making a mistake in his life. He kind of, he's punished, um, which is kind of a, which runs parallel to uh, fairy tales and what fairy tales, what happens in fairy tales. And, uh, but at the same token, he gets exactly what he wants. Like what he truly wants is to watch his daughter grow up every day. Mm. And so by being the doll and now that the evil lady, you know, she picks up the phone and she says to the daughter, I'm sending you a dollhouse. And he's now transformed into the doll inside the dollhouse. 
um, he is going to get to watch his daughter grow up every day. Adrian, I tell you what, I got to the end of that story and my head took it a step further because then it's yeah. like, that's him stuck in the chair because now the reason why he got stuck inside is was because he kept looking inside and what you're doing and getting curious uh, and it's like, oh my gosh, the woman's going to go and trap the door there as well. It's like, oh no, no, oh. no. And it's like the dad is stuck on the chair saying, don't do it, don't do it because yeah. you know, right? Yeah, that's cool. You can take it to an even darker place. She's I a really know. bad lady. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's the, that's the beauty of it. I think stories is a story, especially if you're talking um, about something kind of creepy horror. I'm, I'm thinking of Blair Witch, for instance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, you can have 10 people watching the Blair Witch Project and everyone will come out with a different shade of terror. Yeah. Because our minds will take whatever the story's given us, whether it's, you know, Nazrudin and, and, and a life lesson type thing or something like the Dollhouse or the Blair Witch Project or something like that. And then we just fill in the gaps. That's right. And the human mind... give ourselves mind, the story experience we want. That's right. And the human mind is incredible at filling in gaps. Mm. They've, they've done experiment after experiment where they give you two pieces of information and your mind will draw connections. I mean, conspiracy theorists are just, you know, they'll draw connections yes. between the most far-fetched things. Your mind is incredible at being able to do this. Yeah, that's why the news works. Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that route. Trace, listen, I've got a question for you. Um, you were talking about your application of stories. and I, I, I have to go to your PhD, <coughs> Dr. Oh. Tracy Constant. <laughs> but this was your, this is what your PhD was on, right? Really? Yes, dude. You <laughs> should read this PhD. It's amazing. Trace, so now I'm just going to let you talk. Okay. No, it was, yeah. Uh, and actually that was around the time that I was, I was really into stories. Um, well, I'm always into stories, but I was steeped in stories at that time. And so I did two things at the same time. One was a thing called stories of significant change, where you go around a group of, uh, you go around a community of people who have an issue and you say, tell us over uh, the last period of time, a story where something changed significantly. And then you go, you, you send out a bunch of field workers to collect stories. And this was to do with people who had gone through kind of five years of HIV before treatment was um, allowed and so they had there were a lot of really heart-rending stories that people had to share about losing loved ones about being sick about you know it was hectic and so you the idea of that is you go and collect people's stories um, and the narrative of their experience and then you ask people themselves to say okay what changes significantly and why and is that one more significant than that one and if so why so then you, lose, you use real-life stories for people to be able to understand their situation and then say, okay, if this is, if, if this is what's going on, what could the story in the future look like? So you apply people's own stories to helping them to understand what's going on, how they're responding to empathize with each other so that, you know, you, you might have had this experience and have kept it all in and the next person has had some equivalent experience but different and you sit and look at each other and go what you know this is this is this is how you reacted that's how i reacted this is how i felt how you felt so it's a way of um sharing emotions and coping mechanisms and 
but without it being about the emotions or the coping mechanisms. You know, it's like a, yeah. it's like taking it from the side instead of hitting it head on. Like, how did you feel? It's not how did you yeah. feel. Tell us what happened. Tell us the story. And then it, everything it, else comes out naturally. Is it, is it, could you relate it to like, if a, if a doctor was sitting with a kid and the kid can't talk about things that are, or what's bothering the child and they say, tell us about what's happening to the teddy bear. And then the kid is able to tell the story of what is happening by using the teddy bear as the, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's an equivalent thing, Adi, because in child therapy, they very often use dolls. To, yeah. For them to be able to externalize it. So it is, it's about externalizing and being able to express it by standing back and looking at it from the outside. Mm -hmm. And is that what we, yeah, how, much, how often do we all use stories in that way? Is it, I think if you think of the whole structure of everything from Brothers Grimm to the old traditional fairy tales, they all are, it's actually, Adrian, you touched on it in the beginning where bad yeah. guy does something bad and in a fairy tale, the bad guy's going to get it. Yeah, I, but, I, but I also do feel that there is a, an incredible amount of catharsis in creating a story or telling a story. It, it really, it is very important to the storyteller. I, I, to me, it feels almost like a dream. Like it, 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 to me, when I'm writing a story or creating a, a narrative, I am just like, I think Freud was like, you're all the people in your dream. To me, I am all the people in the story. And mm -hmm. I'm just versions of myself in the story. And, and so you just work through issues and you work through things. Like, and I would just say, like, for me, the greatest fear would be having my kids taken, my kids not being around me every day. That would be my greatest fear. So that came out in the story. And then also I have this sort of this foundational belief that you can, you can get what you want, but at what cost? And that also that ends up coming out through the story. So I do. I think that it's cathartic and it's very important. And um, yeah. So yeah. Now, just a little bit of background, uh, Adrian. All of your uh, details on your website and your movie stuff and everything like that is down in the show notes because Adrian is a screenwriter and a movie director and movie maker and oh my gosh, everything in the movies. But I remember an early screenplay of yours. Mm -hmm. where uh, we're going through it and just knocking it about as we do. And uh, we talked about how in that early screenplay, all the characters did sound like you. And now mm -hmm. that you say what you're saying, it's like, and now I get why. Well, and, and it, 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 that's where it comes from. That's where the characters come from. They're coming from the mind of the creator, of the story creator. As, you, as the process develops, particularly in film, then they will become other people as another, as another human being, it becomes that person. Mm. They take it away from the creator of the story. But certainly when it's on the page, I mean, everybody's just a version, a version of the, of the author. And I would say like in Harry Potter, the three lead characters are all just versions of JK Rowling, JK Rowling. Yeah. just versions of herself. Yeah. So how difficult does it make it then if you have uh, written a screenplay? Because it's one thing, I think, if, you've, if you're writing a short story or even if you're writing a novel, but if you're writing a screenplay, an awful lot of hands get onto, onto that piece of work. And if mm -hmm. you have put versions of you onto the screenplay and then somebody comes in and says, well, that's crap and that's rubbish and that's going to delete that and this character needs to do this. <laughs> what does that do to your soul? 
That's just yeah. a random question. Oh, it, it, it's totally fine. It, it, it is fine. And that's actually, you want someone to come and make it their own so mm. that they, because they, if they're embodying the character, it needs to sound natural. So it, mm. it, it, it can't be my words coming out of their mouth. It has to be their words coming out of their mouth. So if they change right. things and alter things, you're good. That's fine. As long as the intention, as long as the intention is true. All right, so when you get the dialogue going for a movie and then you're filming the movie and if the actors change it and random... Let's let's change it. As long as the intention of this... As long as we're saying... As long as if they are accusing someone of something, as long as that accusation remains. They can say Mm -hmm. it however they want to say it. As long as the emotion is true, Mm -hmm. the only important... The only thing... The only important thing is that the audience never sits there and goes, that didn't sound right. "Hmm." Because as soon as the audience goes like, Hmm, hang on a second, you've lost them. So they're, they're being pulled out of the story. So then that's your failure. You need to keep them in the story. So everything needs to be coherent. Yeah. Now, Trace, that's, that's, that's that point, because in fiction, everything needs to be coherent. Would you say that when you're applying this to the real world, can you tell if somebody is telling you a story, can you tell whether they're telling the truth or not based on how coherent it's, it sounds? Um. That's quite a philosophical question because I don't think there necessarily is truth. There's, there's versions of reality and perception and experience. And there's my story, your story, and the truth is somewhere in between. So people are always telling stories from their perspective and they're always emphasizing the bits that were important to them. And they're probably really quiet about the bits that don't support their case. <laughs> You know, we've all seen that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah true history is made by the ones who write it. That's true. You know, yeah. what happens here and what happens there. And it's never the objective truth. It's always their experience and their perspective and their perception. And so there's no such thing as a lie in a fairy tale. Really? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> now, you guys both have kids. Okay. So as part of the whole growing up process, now we, we know from our experience growing up, we'd have these road trips and, uh, and dad telling us these random stories. Do you remember, Adrian, I don't know if you were born at the time. Uh, Trace, you might, or you might have been, I don't know. Do you remember the time dad got a ticket? I think we were going Joburg to Durban or something. And it was a story about a witch and the faster and more exciting the story got, the faster he drove until we got stopped by the police. <laughs> And I remember dad getting out of the car and literally taking the police up the road, telling them the story so that he could say, and this is why we were speeding, right? <laughs> we got the ticket. We still got the ticket. <laughs> you frame that ticket. But that experience has just stuck in my mind as one of my very early storytelling experiences of dad just really trying to convince the policeman that, <laughs> because of the witches is already justified for reasons. Oh my god. So oh, that was brilliant. I know. And he, so he well, he still can, I'm sure, but it's ages since I've heard him tell a story. But he would get so into it as well. He would like shout and and, and, and roar and things would be very exciting. And then if he was reading us a story, yeah. he'd also go quite ballistic, like the toad of Toad Hall irritated him so much he would have to stop between ratty's little luncheon and toady's little thing to go the stupid toad (laughs) (laughs) how stupid the damn toad was (laughs) (laughs) 
And so your, your experiences then of telling stories to kids, you know, I think because you have such a different approaches to stories and storytelling, I'm kind of curious as how, how do you, how do you tell your kids stories? Well, I'll just, let me just be quick and say here that uh, I am, at the moment, we're still in the little kids book phase. So we're still doing kind of picture books and that kind of thing. And I have tried my best to move us into Roald Dahl and move us into sort of longer stories. But it's taking a bit of time, you know, taking with the girls. So Mm -hmm. I am really looking forward to being able to tell them some of those stories. Uh But at the moment, I haven't, we haven't started that section of their growing up yet do you make up you stories make up with them actually no actually i don't and actually i am i am writing a story for them right now mm-hmm. but it's just a little above their heads at the moment i think i'm going to start with the with the classics i'll start with the roll doll okay. and there's a new english author called david williams oh new english author <laughs> david williams has been yeah it's in canada maybe new <laughs> Well, I just, I just, you found, just him found him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's been writing books for ages. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so we we bought his collection. So I'm just, I'm kind of like primed and waiting to just start reading the girls through all these stories. Yeah. But I remember being at Tracy's house and Tracy's doing their nightly ritual where they would read pieces of huge, massive fantasy books to her girls, and uh, so that's it. Because as soon as a story got even slightly sentimental, like (laughs) somebody said hello or goodbye or I love you, or I I started crying. (laughs) And and it drove them crazy because I mean, I can't really talk when I cry. So I'm (laughs) I'm trying to get the words out. And Adrian would just be dying of laughter because I can't get through the story and the kids are going, come on, I hate it when she does this. So funny. (laughs) So did you choose stories that weren't terribly emotional just so that you could read them? Uh, Listen, there is no story that's not got enough emotion to get me having a little bit of a weep. (laughs) You see? Yeah, you see? I I mean, I also, I'm not, Tina's visits to my kids was where made up stories came alive. We had... Those were fun. Over several years, stories. Jack and Horace. <laughs> and they would say, oh, remember those guys? Carry on where they left off. And they would have adventures. So, yeah, you are really good at making up stories that are, that are substantial. Three words can last 20 minutes or 30 minutes and, and can come out with this amazing twist and the turn, turn in the tail, you know? Yeah, so, they were fun. And Dad could make up stories really yeah. well as well. Yeah. But I have, I, I don't know, maybe I didn't try hard enough. I read stories and loved reading stories. And I was so grateful that my kids took a long time to, you know, they would be reading for themselves. And then I would read something that was beyond their reading ability. So by the time they were 11, 12, I might have been 12 by the time they told me they really didn't want to let me read anymore. And I felt quite sad about that. <laughs> but I mean, we, I read them Neil Gaiman as the last books we read. We got onto a pretty Whoa. sophisticated uh, Philip Pullman. We read Philip yep. Pullman just before they didn't want to be read to anymore. Mm-hmm. And we started, in fact, with Enid Blyton, Far Away Tree, that oh. lady smoking some doobie. I tell you what, she was mad. <laughs> Enid Blyton smoking. Drugs. 
<laughs> the faraway tree is such oh. a good story. <laughs> it is psychedelic. <laughs> uh, so that was an early one. And we read Narnia uh, when they were also around, a little bit older than your girls. Three, three was too little. But mm. by, by about four and seven, we had. And we, mm. also, we always had two stories going because they were different ages. And we had part of the ritual was when we finished one book, the person whose book that was, we'd lay out all the potential books on the table and they'd read the back of each one and they'd choose which one they wanted next. And then you'd have a chapter or three pages from one person's book, from Ashby's book, and three pages from Keita's book. And there was always something in parallel. You know, we're reading three, two completely different stories, but both of them would have trains in them or both of them would have, you know, something in them. And you'd always be able to say, oh, look, how, what are the chances? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember getting also... Uh, there's a Roald Dahl story, which is very scary, Amy. Wait for it. You will love it. Um, called The Min Pins, where little Billy has to run away from the monster in the forest. And oh. I love it. And, and you have to shout. You have to go, run, little Billy, run. Run as fast as you can. He's after you. Yeah. Great. I read The Min Pins about four times just so that I could do that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when you guys... All go to South Africa. This is the kind of storytelling you're going to get. That's the yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, this is good. This is going to be great. Yeah. And so yeah. would you, Adrian, with, uh, with your guys, would you encourage them to write their own stories, uh, being as a writer yourself? Yes. And in fact, uh, just, just continuing to do creative things. So um, I just do it over and over and over again. And I think that is anything creative. I just... I think that they should just continue doing that. Mm. So for drawing and stuff like that, for me, like we have a white, I have this big whiteboard that I bought and I bought them all pens so they can just draw it. And then in the evenings I'll take a photo and then I'll clean the whiteboard so that they can just keep, just keep doing it over and over and over again. And we, and I have tried, I have tried to have them come up with stories and then we sat and I said, okay, let's write our own story. And then we made a little book, you know, so I wrote it. They told me the story and then I turned it into a little book. So that it was a finished product. So that was yeah. something. And then we drew pictures so, so that she made her own book. Just because, um, I don't know, I think it's, if that, the, the idea of completing something creative, yep. if they can, by the time they leave this house, if they can have that feeling that they could mm. sit down and create a thing. Yeah, but I think that's important because one of the traps creative people have is creating something and then they hide it away. It's like, oh, I don't want to let anybody touch this because it might get criticized, it might get knocked. But if they grow with the attitude of like, I'm creating something to put it into the world and then I let go of it. 100%. And the, the actually, and really, and I see this a lot, is actually people will not finish it for fear of the criticism. Yeah. So they won't even finish it and put it in a drawer. They will mm-hmm. just not finish it and let it peter out because then they can never have any criticism of, of their work. Yeah. yeah, that is that is a that is probably the single biggest killer yeah. of creative things is fear of criticism. Yeah, but I tell you what, the best piece of advice I ever had was actually Morris, who for a beautiful people listening is my hubby. Uh, when he he edited a lot of my very early nonfiction books, and I would cry, literally sobbing in tears. How can you not love my work? All he did was edit the typos. <laughs> and then he gave me this piece of <laughs> advice. He said, listen, 
He said, whenever you're going to write a book or do something creative, and when you put it into the world, you have to pretend that it's a football that you're putting onto the pitch. If every single time somebody kicks that ball, it hurts you, you are not going to be able to play the game. So when you're done, make it a football, put it into the pitch, let go, go kick the ball along with everybody else. No emotion, no feeling, no attachments anymore. Now it's just a ball. Go play. And whoa, that, that has stuck. And that has made putting work into the world a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> it's never 100% easier, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it sucks. It's the worst. And then, you, and then for me, you have, a, you have a movie premiere and you know that there is stuff in the movie that, that, is, that, is, that sucks. So yeah. You're not stupid. You've, you're like, but that's what you did. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, the, for, at that point in time, this was the absolute best that I could do. I did my best. That's this, it. Is, this is what it is. And now I'm going to move on to something else. And the truth is that some people, some people are going to enjoy it. Some people legitimately will enjoy it, reg- mm-hmm. even without the, without the pitfalls and the things that you hate about it. And some people, no matter how perfect it is, it is they're also not going to like it. Yeah. Not, just because they don't, like because you made a drama and they don't like dramas yeah you know so you just i don't know you just enjoy the process and, and i think that process of advice that morris gave you is probably pretty spot on yeah no just certainly stuck the world and let it go and mm. move on yeah mm. no that's you it know, i think because one of the beautiful things about this digital environment is that you can always do it and then go hmm i fancy a remake and literally replace it you know mm-hmm. if, if somebody has a link you can replace it and then if they listen to it again, they get the new version. Woo-hoo. <laughs> that's sweet. That's the temptation of never putting it out. If you keep on thinking, well, I can change it. Mm-hmm. Oh, or you put out complete rubbish in the beginning, knowing that you can tweak it. Now that's just bad. Yeah, yeah. it's true. I, I don't know. But, but it is, it's, this, it's this notion of, of the ability to create something and put it into the world and have people look at it and the sky not falling in. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a biggest gift you can give kids uh, yeah. as they grow up because, you know, social media, their criticism is right in their face compared to us. When we were kids, we never had any of that nonsense. Yeah. Um, so that I think kids are growing up a little more nervous and aware of their impact in the world and what people's response to them and what they do can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they have to be braver. I think the ne- next generation of storytellers yeah. in whatever medium but I, I do also think that the kids these days are growing up in a more supportive, coddled environment. Definitely, it's the, you know, like what used to, where the parents used to be like, oh, we're, we're going about our day and we have our kids over there. Mm. Nowadays, everything stops and now it's like the children. Yes. Everything for the children. So, oh, I like, I'm, I'm suddenly feel a story. I can. <laughs> <laughs> But, it, but it's like it, it, today, it's just that there's an there's, there's been an adjustment over the period of like a generation and a half, where now, no matter what happens, you're just there to protect the children. And I will say, like criticism might be harsh on social media, but I don't know if you want to be a bully in this day and age. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna you you got an uphill battle. You want to bully people, you're gonna have a tough time. That's actually true because you get pointed at pretty damn quick. Yeah, it, that's it, a good it, point. You, you're a bully, you're going to, you picked a really difficult life for yourself <laughs> because people hate bullies now, you know? Okay. And maybe, maybe kids get used to being detached from what they put out there because they put out stuff out there a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas point. 
maybe we had a relatively we it was gentler for us because there were so few people who could critique what we were doing mm. so these kids learned to be brave because they, they're putting things out endlessly um and so that's I, a really good point they, they can they can develop a thick skin and not oh. take things personally and okay. feel good when they're validated because it's a lot about validation mm-hmm. but they also are going to learn not to feel bad when they're not validated because they're going to get some practice at it. They are. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Yeah. Okay. All right. But now, now Tina, I will also say what? that you talk about, you talk about going back and like carry on working on your, you can always change it and make it better. Mm-hmm. I think you should not do that. I think you should. I agree. <laughs> I think you should just, you're just like, I, this is this is the finished version of this. I'm done with that. Moving on to the new thing. Yeah. I think every now and again you need. Sometimes you need a new piece of paper. You just you yeah. just like gotta be like, okay, this is done. It is what it is. I need to start again. New piece of paper. Yeah. No, you're 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 absolutely right. But the temptation is 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 something. I mean, just this weekend, I've got in my list of things to do, the uh, collections of short stories that are out there right now. And uh, on one of them, I haven't even seen the review, but some bugger gave me a one-star review on one of my favorite collections. And it's like, excuse me, read what? Don't read it. Ignore them. They're wrong. I haven't read it. But you know what? Then I'm thinking, you know what? I can literally go and change the ISBN and republish it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, problem solved, baby. <laughs> I'm going to carry on doing that till I get a five-star review. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did look at that and I think, hmm. And then I'm trying to make business reasons for it. It's like, hmm. (laughs) Let me tell you something. At least you're getting reviews. True. (laughs) Reviews are good. Good or bad, like the reviews are good for your link. For your (laughs) Oh, my God. Hey, guys, I want to try something. I want to try something. We did this once. Um, at uh, the Mozambique diving holiday, right? Mm. Where we told a story. There was a whole, the whole family actually told a story word at a time. I want to try that with you guys and see what we come out with at the end. All right. All right. So I'll start then just because there's a triangle here, then Adrian and then Trace, and we'll just go as fast as we can word at a time and see what story comes up. Okay. I'm going to start easy once. There was a giant mouse who Loved the moon, <laughs> but every time he sang, did you say sang? Sang, yeah. The national anthem. <laughs> he <laughs> he craned his neck into a peanut. Well, <laughs> <No>. what? <laughs> your neck into a peanut <laughs> what is craned what did you put the crane for <laughs> he craned his neck he craned his neck into M. Trace what kind of <laughs> he was singing the national anthem to the moon which he loved <laughs> okay alright alright no that was rubbish <laughs> well it had you potential. It definitely had potential. It had potential. So basic lesson, folks, is that if you're going to tell a story, do a bit of planning. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. It's all right. I think it's 
Crane, the, the one crane. that shoot us down. Crane, crane. Yeah, crane. crane. <laughs> no, that's story sabotage. Seriously. <laughs> well, you're going to give it another go, and we're not going to trust you now. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, okay one more. Crane, okay. Nick. Who, 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 who? Okay, towards. Oh, yeah. towards well, is a good one. Yeah. Okay, so craned was Adrian. Nick was Trace. I'm going to say towards. <laughs> The bows of the <laughs> willow that I'm getting all the easy words whipped <gasps> beside the river in which swam the damsel in the <laughs> boat. <laughs> <clears throat> the mouse. <laughs> okay. That was a full stop. That, that was a full stop. stop. The that was, was a full stop. In the boat. <laughs> I, I, look, I don't want to use this paper. I was somewhere with this bad boy. Longed. Longed. The mouse longed. Okay, hang on. Where were you? The mouse the longed. Was swimming in the boat under the willow tree. Yes. All the time, the mouse is trying to think of the moon and struggling to get there. So the mouse longed. The mouse long. Longed. Oh, longed, as in longed. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as in, as it in was a giant Romeo mouse. and Juliet. <laughs> Listen, we might have. It might have escaped us that this was a giant mouse. Oh. No. How big is a giant mouse? Would a giant mouse be the size of a dog, or are we talking like a giant? mouse the size of a bus or a giant mouse the size of a mountain <gasps> in which case a giant mouse has eaten the moon so it depends and that is on why the moon is made of cheese booyah uh, booyah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like a fable oh, man. hey is the mouse going to eat the damsel who is swimming in the boat? I mean, I don't know how she was. Oh, yeah, haven't really. There's no the rescuing boat. going on here, really. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay. I, I feel like the moon has to shine through the willow tree, but then the mouse wouldn't be very giant if it was looking at the moon through a tree. Then it would be hardly giant at all. No, that would be a small VW Beetle size mouse, not yeah. <laughs> even a bus. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. If you saw a VW-sized mouse, you would be terrified. And I would then be a damsel paddling away on a boat as hectically as I possibly could. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this can get a bit darker. Good, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This mouse oh, no. better be the damsel the dam must die. <laughs> yeah. Down with the damsel. Down with the damsel. <laughs> yeah, pretty shocking. Good ladies. Yeah. Just not dark enough. No. All right, guys, getting close to the end now. We're just going to wrap this up with three questions that, uh, that yeah, we're kind of like, well, the first one. So I don't know if I like to ask everybody. <laughs> we'll start with you and see where it goes. So first of all, uh, and we'll get Adrian first. What story impacted you the most growing up? Growing up, probably the BFG. Roald Dahl's BFG, pro just the story itself just sat with me in my mind more than any other story. Um, I probably got told that story around the same time as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory just didn't resonate with me the way that the BFG did. And I just love the imagery and the story of the BFG. I think it's an amazing story. 
And the movie, did you see the movie? I have seen the movie and it did not resonate with me like the book did, but okay. the, it, it, it might've hit the book might've just hit me at the right time. Um, yeah. And I love Steven Spielberg as a director, but I, the movie was fine. It was, I'm sure it was excellent. Like it was, it was good, but it didn't ring my bells. Not like the book. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Trace, what about you? Hmm. I'm thinking I read sort of child pulp for most of my childhood. And so it was probably when I was sort of mid teens that I read Lord of the Rings. And I would say that is the one that would stay with me the most often the one I think of scenes and the one I, I tried to read the kids and we did a bit on audiobook, but they didn't have the legs to be read it. It takes a lot longer to be read it. So they have to read it for themselves. Yeah. So yeah, I think it would have to be Lord of the Rings. Yeah. No, Lord of the Rings was the one I think I got so into, I think I read it about seven times as a teenager and uh, English teacher at the time, actually let me read Lord of the Rings because she said it was better than the book that we were reading in class. <laughs> it probably was. You would Friends. go far not to be. <laughs> there you go. No, Lord of the Rings. All right. Uh, question number next. If you were stuck in lockdown and you had one book that you had to, that was the only book you had, which book would you be happy to read over and over and over and over? Fiction or nonfiction? Yeah. yeah. I, I, do you know what? For this for this, I'm probably going to go with Lord of the Rings. Is I would enough to it to keep you busy. But, but the thing is, I, do you know what? I might, I might decide to read to, to to take something that I haven't. Oh, is it one book? Or is it a series? I think let's say series. Let's give ourselves okay. some leeway. <laughs> I would try. I would try the Game of Thrones book series. <gasps> yeah. So I haven't read it. And I, I kind of know the characters and I think it would be really good to read. Yeah. But yeah, so I'd probably take that one in, with me into, into quarantine. <laughs> Fun for not all the family. <laughs> Keep you going. Okay, Trace, what would you want? What would you take into lockdown? I'm glad that we've been given some leeway on the whole series thing. So it would have to be something fat and, 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 it might be the Philip, Philip Pullman trilogy, the Lyra trilogy, um, the Golden Compass, those three. Uh, I've read them before. The witch, the, the I witch think there's the a lot more to them that I would pick up on a second reading. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm, maybe it would be that. But that's just what jumped into my mind now. It could be something completely different if you ask me that tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, because I haven't read that series. But then I also have not read Game of Thrones. And you know, the reason I haven't read Game of Thrones is because I'm waiting for the last book to be written. <laughs> like, come on. The, the TV series, except for the last season. <clears throat> seriously, people. Uh, absolutely fantastic. the last season. The last season. Come on. It was like, you're making it up as you go along. No, 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 no. So, the, but it, I didn't want to start reading the books until the last book was out because I'm going to want the whole story beginning to end. That's actually a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Uh, when you think of our world today, you know, life, the universe, everything that's going on, what are the stories you think we should be telling each other going forward? Yeah, I, 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 I do think one of the things that, um, that I think uh, is important and needs to change is that 
I'd love to see stories that reflected increased integrity because I, I do, and the value of somebody's word coming back into popularity. Because I think that there is no, at the moment, the value of your word and when you say something, you know, there's no value in that at the moment. And I would love to see a resurgence of when someone says something that they are, that you're able to take them at their word. Right. Okay. You know, and I think our, our politicians today have kind of wrecked that for us. Thank you very much. Politicians totally, and advertising have broken that. They've totally destroyed that. You, there's no trust in what a person says. And uh, even now with the way, you know, with the way the media is portrayed and the way that anybody can create media, there's also no trust in the media. So really you only have trust in, like if you see an after, after in retrospect, when you see someone's actions, can you, you know, hmm. but it would be nice to see value in what people say. Okay. Trace, what about you? Yeah, I think that more than anything else today, more than ever, the, the, the future is nebulous. And we've, we've got, we've got kids coming into a time where, where there are big questions about what it's what what it'll be like for them and what their job is so i think stories about thinking outside the box resilience um working problem solving and creating your own path in times that are unpredictable which a lot of stories have that that's the thing that a lot of adventures have and a lot of of, of um fables have but I think more than ever, it's about, yeah, not treading the, treading the road less traveled, working stuff out, mm -hmm. bouncing back and finding the clever solutions that at the same time are in community and are collective, you know, that we, how do we together deal with whatever drama the storyteller throws at us? And I'll just say the reason I think that this question is such an important one is because I the way that story and science kind of go hand in hand is the, the people who tell stories throw out sort of spears or, or ideas into the darkness. Like this could be humanity. This is, this is what we could do, you know, just for, and I'll take a very sort of, uh, it, just in a very sort of plain sort of example is like, in the Starship Enterprise, they had the, the little things where they used to hit and then they used to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. And that was somebody who wrote that. They, they just imagined that. And they imagined yeah. that this would be a future, a potential future. And then a, they, there was a scientist. And when the scientist or the, the person who actually had the practical ability to do this thing, they based it on that Star Trek device. And then, you know, a pager was born. Yeah. That right? was the origins of the pager, right? Yeah, and it, the, <laughs> so the thing is, the storytellers are out at the front, throwing these ideas out into the darkness. Yep. Right, and the ones that stick, or the ones where people are like, "This is who we want to become." This stories that are getting told like this. This is who we want to be, and so humanity starts moving in that direction. Because, but at the front lines are the storytellers or the people with the imagination saying, where are we going to go, guys? What, um, we're throwing out spears into the darkness everywhere, but which one is going to resonate? And so where are we going to walk together? Mm. So I think that this question is very important because the movies that we love and the stories that we love at the moment, the heroes and the people that we are looking up to 
are excellent people yeah for the most part so for me that gives me faith in the road that humanity is traveling right now and i think with your work trace where you are where people are telling their own stories uh is for them to uh to then take that next step of saying well this is this is what happened this is where i am now and if i was going to take my story forward this is what i wanted to be mm. you know yeah yeah, restoring is a, is I think a Dorian Harof word. Oh, restoring, restoring. I like that. And you can restore your past as well. Yeah, that's true. Put emphasis on different bits. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Make a new history. Okay. Uh, you people have been completely awesome. This has been really, really good to talk to you guys. Thank you very, very much for putting in your stories and then for joining me here today. And uh, the next guest story is the storyteller is going to be Jason Green. And uh, he's going to say, I have no idea what his story is going to be yet. I believe it's called Welcome Matt. Adrian, he's like, Welcome Matt. Thank you very much. And uh, so I'm going to get uh, Dorian's story. I'm recording. <laughs> so Morris is just, my husband's just coming and called us all reprobate. So that's pretty lovely. Oh, hello, Morris. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's it from the Waffle Free Storytelling Podcast, folks. We better stop recording before anything completely weird happens. We're going to see uh, Jason Green as the next storyteller. And uh, thank you very much, Agent. Thank you very much, Tracy. The waffle and the links and the stuff to everything that these guys are doing is down in the show notes. And we're going to see you <laughs> next week for another completely weird and random story from the universe. In the meantime, just go and hug the people you love and uh, stay safe. And uh, bye-bye now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thanks, Dan. Well done. Measuring yeah. his lockdown, you should see Morris's beard. You can't come in a little bit. Oh, show us your beard, Morris. Look at that beard. Booyah! Oh, that is beautiful. Look at you. Isn't it gorgeous? That That's is fantastic. Epic. It has not been it's not been trimmed since lockdown. Forest come goes for a run. That's fantastic. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That's as long as it goes. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna keep all of that in. <laughs> <laughs>